This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, Mindset Nation, welcome back to another fantastic episode we have coming up here. We want to thank Joel for writing this awesome review. Best podcast for new investors. Highly recommend listening. This podcast helped me make the jump into real estate investing. Each episode is an interview with real estate investors that have the same problems that us new investors are going through each day. They talk about the success and their failures and their habits and their recommendations. And Steven is the host and has a ton of experience. This is a great podcast. So thank you again for the review. And a reminder, guys, go make sure you join the Insider Club at theinvestormindset.com to find out first about some of the great things that we have coming up down the pipe right over here at Mindset HQ. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited, as I always am. I have Kevin Bupp in the studio today. How are you doing, Kevin? Steven, I'm doing awesome, man. Excited to be here. Well, I am excited to have you. Kevin Bupp is a Florida-based real estate investor, top iTunes podcast host, and serial entrepreneur with over $40 million of real estate transactions under his belt. His extensive investment experience spans the gamut of apartment buildings, single-family homes, office buildings, raw land, and his favorite, by far, mobile home parks. He's been in the industry since he was 19 years old, where he first got introduced. So he's seen challenges and changes in the market, but none of them kept him down for too long. He serves his community through his podcast and has become an industry leader in the real estate education investing space. You ready to get started, Kevin? I'm ready, Stephen. I'm ready. All right. Well, obviously, $40 million of real estate transactions, that's a ton. You've hit some serious success. But why don't we start by taking a look back to earlier on in your life? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, um, I, I can't say that I have like this, uh, this sad story where I grew up with nothing and was homeless or sure. anything like that. I, I grew up very much in a blue collar family. So we, we didn't have a ton, but you know, we didn't go without and, and it's all relative, right? Like, you know, what I remember back then was just having fun and being a kid and, uh, and having parents that cared about us and, and, you know, never really went without anything or felt like we didn't have anything. However, with that being said, um, you know, we, we never really splurged off to that. We went on like one, maybe, you know, one family vacation a year, um, but, you know, didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, fancy material items or didn't have like the latest toys and things of that nature. So I remember at a young age, I always wanted, I hated asking my parents for it. I think I was um, maybe a little ahead of my time and I, and I kind of understood the idea that my parents worked fairly hard for what we did have and that they didn't have a lot of extra. And so I always, you know, I, I felt bad asking them and I always wanted to figure out how to make my own money so that I could mm-hmm. purchase the things, you know, the, the, the newest toy or the dirt bike or, you know, the things like that that, that you want as a child. And, uh, and so I, you know, I really got hustling, the shoveling snow, to, um, doing chores around the house, mowing grass, and ultimately, you know, kind of worked my way up to being, uh, you know, getting the paper route that was in my neighborhood. Worked really hard, like literally fought other kids for that, that, that one position, that prized position to be the paper boy in the neighborhood. And then learned how to uh, install uh, electronics and car stereo systems, uh, you know, my brother's friend's cars uh, before I was even old enough to drive. Little things like that, that I just kind of self-taught myself, you know, both to stay busy, but also more importantly, to, to make money, right? To kind of pave my own way. And I, I don't think the word entrepreneur was, uh, 
was uh, I don't even think it was you know a, a viable actually term back then. Um, however, I look back and I think I just had that entrepreneurial bug at a really young age and and wanted to kind of create my own destiny. So uh, surely had a um, a big impact uh, as I grew into adulthood and uh, ultimately to you know where I'm at today. Uh, I, just, I feel yeah. like I've always wanted to pave my own way. That's so cool. I can definitely relate a lot to that. I mean, so you were a little hustler. You're out there figuring out a way to make a buck. What was it that drove you to say like, hey, I'm going to go and figure this out rather than just being okay with what you had? You know, I just, I, I saw it as a way. I mean, I, like the solution was there. Like it seemed pretty easy to me. Um, and like, all I have to do is go mow grass. All I have to do is go shovel snow or, you know, be a paper boy. I got, I, I loved riding my bike anyway. Like, hey, let's have fun and make some money at the same time. I mean, you know, it wasn't even a, it wasn't a question in my mind. It was like, a, hey, this opportunity is here. If you want those things, here's a way to make it happen. You don't even have to think about it anymore. Just go do it, <laughs> get it done. And I, I think that I still have that kind of mindset today. It's like, there's a challenge, there's a, you know, there's also a solution. Let's figure out what the solution is and let's not complain about it. Let's not go back and forth. Let's just dive into it and, and, and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. So what first introduced you to the idea of investing in real estate in particular? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, uh, up, up through the high school years, uh, again, I just continued different hustles to, to make money. Um, and uh, I, I can't tell you that I was overly excited uh, to go to college. Um, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life at, at, at that point in time. I uh, had a lot of friends going away to school. And again, I came from a very you know middle-class family. They didn't have a lot of extra money. And so um, I felt a little guilty inside, or I, I knew that I would feel a little guilty inside if I were to go off to school and have my parents like scrape together the money to do it. Because uh, I surely mm -hmm. wasn't going on scholarships, uh, and, yeah. and I, I felt that I was going to somewhat waste their money away because I didn't have, uh, you know, that vision of what I wanted to do, um, you know, as an adult, and, and I surely uh -huh. didn't have a major that I wanted to pursue. And so I just I, I went to community college. Um, I thought that was a responsible thing to do until I could figure that out. I attended bar part time. Um, you know, so for that was the year following uh, graduation of high school. And uh, during that period of time, I met a, uh, a gentleman by the name of David. David uh, just happened to be dating uh, my girlfriend's mom at that point in time. David was a local real estate investor. He was about uh, 15 wow. years uh, older than I was and seemed to have a pretty cool lifestyle, drove a really nice car, um, seemed to have a lot of flexibility in his day. Uh, didn't really have like a nine to five, which, you know, was kind of foreign to me. Um, and, uh, was a really nice guy on top of that. And, and, uh, he, you know, him and I just kind of grew a bond uh, over the first couple of weeks and months that we, uh, that we knew each other, met each other. And, uh, uh he invited me. I, I don't know why I still to this day, never really asked him the question of why, you know, he, he invited me or why he thought of me to, to, uh, join him, uh, during a three day boot camp. Um, but he mm -hmm. basically had signed up for a three-day boot camp down in Philadelphia um, uh, to you know continue his education and his knowledge as a real estate investor. And he invited me along with him. Uh, I had no idea. I had never shown an interest. I'd never expressed an interest in what he was doing. Surely talked with him about it, but never kind of said, hey, David, please, I want to do what you're doing. Can you teach me how? Um, ultimately, he invited me to this boot camp. I went with him because I thought it was just a, was a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I didn't know anything about real estate leading into it, uh, attended it got overwhelmed, um, got excited, uh, had a lot of emotions rolling through my body. 
Uh, ultimately, I left there saying, you know what? I met a lot of people here this weekend, including you know knowing David, that were very successful, that did you know big things, that had done big things, and you know by investing in real estate. And I didn't feel like any of them were any smarter than I was. Uh, they they did mm-hmm. uh, they, they did hold some knowledge that I didn't currently have at that point in time, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't learn with a little bit of effort, a little bit of uh, focus. And so I, I went back to David after that meeting. I said, David. How, how can I help you? Like, how can I help yeah. you? I want to be around you more. I like you as an individual, but I also want to be around you more so I can learn what it is you're doing and learn how you built your business. But you know, how can I add value to you? I don't want it to be a waste of your time. I don't want to be a drain on you, uh, and, and, you know, in your in your daily routine. But I want to be able to add value to your business. And um, he accepted the offer. And I essentially worked with David in between tending bar in the evenings and going to school during the day. Every other hour, I was either out in the field with David at his home office, running errands, meeting with agents, uh, contractors, just, I did whatever he asked me to do um, for about 14 months before I felt comfortable enough to go out on my own and buy my very first property. So that was my introduction to real estate and uh, I fell in love with it and uh, that love never went away. Isn't it so cool how one interaction, one person that you met in your life Mm -hmm. that really brought you down this path that's now become your life's work, that that one person, that one individual could introduce you to this whole subject. And obviously they were an inspiration to you. And what's so cool about that is I have a similar story. It's a little bit different, but that we can all be those people to Mm -hmm. others, right? We can all show somebody else another path. Um, And uh, a big, another big takeaway there is just how you went to go add value. You didn't, you're just like, Hey, how can I be close to this person? Because by being able to be surrounded by him, and see that it's possible, you get to reach that aha moment, which is one of my core beliefs, is that you know if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had already felt so indebted to him, uh, Stephen, like as far as him inviting me just to this this event, I mean, I, looking back, I think it cost $3,000. I mean, that was a lot of money. I, I think at about $7,000 wow. of my saving. I was pretty good about saving money. I mean, tending bar. Um, so I probably had more money than most of my friends at that age. Um, however, you know, that, that 3,000, I surely wouldn't have dropped that myself um, you know, and, uh, and so he, you know, he initially had covered that and I, I felt indebted. I was like, you know, like worst case, I need to get this back to him one way or another. I need to help him out in his business. And, uh, ultimately that's how I presented it to him. And, um, I knew that I could bring value to his business. I didn't know how at that point, but I just knew I could, I knew that I had a, a work ethic that, um, would lend a lot of value uh, to him and his business and his daily, you know, just his, his daily, you know, routine. So, and uh, him and I became yeah. really close friends, we became partners, uh, did a number of deals together. And um, I, I, I moved on after that. That was in Pennsylvania. I moved down to Florida after that and um, really hit the ground running. And that was in my early 20s. So cool to hear kind of how you got started and where that began. Why don't we take a look at what are you up to right now? What is your primary focus and, mm-hmm. and where do you spend your time in your business and investing? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And so, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, I, you know, I initially got involved in the single family space, built up quite a large portfolio, really following David's model of uh, really buy and hold. Mm-hmm. I didn't really flip much. I didn't wholesale much. I did every once in a while when I needed you know, to create some liquidity. But for the most part, I followed a model of buy and hold, you know, hold for long-term cash flow. And I did that with single family properties, built up a portfolio of a few hundred properties, um, bought also apartments. Uh, after that, you know, kind of, I kept moving into different focuses and niches over time. Um, owned hundreds of apartment doors, owned other miscellaneous commercial real estate along the way, and ultimately lost all that in 2008 or a majority of it. Um, had to rebuild myself, uh, 
uh, started doing that rebuild process in 2011, took a couple years hiatus and had a few other non-real estate related businesses. Um, but in 2011, I went on a journey to kind of figure out what went wrong, you know, 2008 and prior and what I wanted to do differently to avoid those same mistakes. And that's what led me down to the, the path um, to where we're at today, which is mobile home parks. So today we own mobile home communities in 13 different states and, um, and are essentially on a, uh, on a uh, you know, process of acquiring communities nationwide at this point. So that is our company's core focus. We own about 2,000 lots uh, in, in its entirety and uh, are looking to get to about the 10,000 lot number here in the next five years. So uh, we've always tended wow. to, to pick one, you know, one path and focus on it, pour all our efforts into it. Uh, and today that, that focus just happens to be manufactured housing. I think focus is definitely one of the strongest attributes, having that discipline to just go after one thing with everything that you have. Mm -hmm. And that's clearly why you've been able to be so successful. So an another thing that I really like to do uh, whenever I meet people who have gone through some kind of hardship is I, I, I want to firewalk your experience. Would you mind sure. kind of going down that path with me and, and sharing a little bit about kind of what happened in 2008 mm -hmm. and how you navigated your way through that? Sure. Absolutely. Where, where, where shall I start? Well, it sounds like you're in the single family game, which is a game that I have played quite a bit in and uh, what fell? Why, why did it yeah. all fall apart for you? And how did you move through that process as uh, mm -hmm. the whole world was collapsing around you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, to give some context to the, the story, uh, I'm based in the Tampa Bay area. So um, all, all the properties I had acquired during that time period, uh, I moved basically, I, I was 19 when I got started. I was in Pennsylvania. I moved down to Florida when I was 22 and, um, and I've lived here in the Tampa Bay area ever since. And so, Majority of my investment activity really started taking place down here in Florida. So in the, in the southwest quadrant, so Tampa Bay all the way down to like Naples area, if, if folks that are listening are familiar with the Florida market. And um, just went on a buying spree and just bought as much as we possibly could. And in my mind, Stephen, I was a, again, a long-term hold investor, buying for cash flow. However, with that being said, I, I do think that um, my mind became polluted by the amount of appreciation that was happening on paper back in those days. Um, we were very conscious of, of leverage points, keeping them very conservative, you know, across the board, you know, my entire single family home portfolio was somewhere like the, the 66 to 68% uh, loan to value range. And so, um, fairly low, low risk uh, in the grand scheme of things. However, obviously when things crashed, uh, that quickly took a turn upside down. Um, but back, back to the original part of the story is, you know, thinking that I was a cash flow investor, Florida um, is very challenging in the single family home space to, to cash flow, you know, especially if you're near the coast, the insurance is incredibly high, uh, taxes are fairly high, you know, real estate taxes. And so the amount of effort involved in building a single family home portfolio uh, added with those, those significant expenses and then have the inefficiencies of having these things spread out amongst multiple different counties. It created inefficiencies that, um, that essentially led to, uh, you know, a portfolio that wasn't nearly as profitable as what it would have been, say, if it was 200, uh, a 200 door apartment complex versus 200 single yeah. family homes spread out amongst, again, multiple different counties. I think we were in five different counties um, at kind of our peak. And so, that, that was, uh, you know, one of the big elements, the inefficiencies. Um, but on top of that, I mean, the Florida market was, was practically ground zero. And one of the big things that hurt us um, was during the crash, uh, at that point in time, there was a ton of spec builders down here in Southwest Florida, just building thousands upon thousands of rooftops for a population that surely wasn't coming here, especially when the construction mm. jobs started going away. As the market started crashing, yeah. everyone was leaving Florida because literally it, it was literally supported by the real estate 
um, construction trade. I mean, just you know, entire towns like practically losing 50% of the population because there was no more construction projects to be had. And so there was all these rooftops for this population that wasn't coming here. And what happened, at least in a lot of the markets that we owned and mostly down in the Sarasota and south, uh, south of that area, um, a lot of these builders had these construction loans and they couldn't sell homes anymore. And they started renting these brand new homes out for not much more than what we were renting much older homes for. And so we had a mm. kind of a mass exodus over a period of a few months of, uh, of our occupancy, moving into these newer homes for you know practically the same price as what they're paying for a 20 or 30 year old home. And so that hurt really, mm really badly and uh, and and we had to essentially offer concessions and you know lower our rates substantially in order to even attract anyone back in and that bleeding just it, it took a toll it took a toll over a number of months to where we were writing checks you know to make our debt service each month big very big checks um, uh, and, and that couldn't last very long and ultimately we had to make a strategic decision to default on our on our single family home properties uh, a majority of them back when this first started going down Stephen, the banks they didn't realize how big of a uh, of a crash this was going to be uh, most all mm-hmm. the banks they were not prepared for this they didn't have loss mitigation departments um, and and most of these banks in this first 12 months um, of this correction or this of this recession they were not prepared to negotiate or renegotiate terms with borrowers we yeah. only one of the banks that we had relationships with were even remotely open to the idea of actually doing any kind of loan modifications, and so we just time, time wasn't at our side, um, and so it, it got to the point to where I was like, "Look, I'm going to be 100% broke and literally eating ramen noodles, um, yeah, uh, because I'm going to be out of money, and I still don't know what's going to happen after that." Right? I'll, my portfolio was upside down. That loan to value went negative, um, at, you know, within yeah. the first 12 to 18 months. And so now I had this portfolio that was worth less than what I owed, and it was negative cash flowing. It was just an ugly time. So, um, and so when you were when you were going through that, obviously that had to be just tough from from mm-hmm. from the depths of what's inside of you to go from feeling like you had hit such success to losing that. Um, do you mind if I ask what what did you learn about yourself during that time, <laughs> and how do you apply it now? Yeah, yeah, that that's interesting. Um, it was the first time I've ever dealt with something like that. Obviously, uh, I was still I was still yeah. fairly young. Uh, I'm still young today, but uh, I was in my 20s, <laughs> and uh, um, all I knew was the market going up, 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 right. And um, it uh, it taught me a lot about myself, my my own character. You know what you know uh, what kind of adversity I could handle. I, I will. I'm not going to lie and act like I just toughed my way through it. Um, there surely was a period of time where I, I stuck my head in the sand and just. I didn't have the answer. Yeah. And because everyone else around me, the folks that I relied on, like my mentors that had been through a couple downturns, that had been there and done that many times, they were having the same challenges and they didn't have the answers. And so um, yeah. it was very hard to get myself outside of that bubble. Um, and the, the only thing that really pulled me through, there's two different things. First and foremost, I knew that I couldn't control what was happening with the market. I uh-huh. literally couldn't control it. I mean, it was this downward spiral and I just had to deal with it. And, you know, getting my, you know, my yeah. people serving me every day, you know, court notices showing up left and right, creditors calling, it was, it was a disaster. However, the one thing I could control was me personally and like my, you know, my, my uh-huh. health, my fitness and my overall well being from a mental standpoint, which was a challenge in and of itself. And so I just went into this like really aggressive mode. I was always healthy and I worked out prior to that, but I went to this like really aggressive mode of, of uh, being in, you know, being just, uh, you know, engulfed in health and fitness and watching my yeah. diet like very carefully and just making sure that I was like at a peak physical state so that 
I would have absolute clarity mentally so that, you know, although things were challenging, the last thing I needed was to feel like crap on top of it, which, you know, obviously just adds additional layers of a complexity to a already challenging situation. So that's what I did. I mean, that to answer your question of how I worked my way through, that was the one big one was health and fitness. It just became, I became obsessed with it. And then the second was, uh, go ahead, go ahead. It was just so, it's so important to take care of your body when you're going through that kind of stress mm-hmm. because you're putting so much toxins into your body that that's probably the one of the reasons you were able to, you know, come out the other side as quickly as you did. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't say it was quick. It, it took a number of years, um, but uh, I, I surely uh, I'm very grateful. I, I'm very grateful for the experience because I've learned a lot. I think I'm a completely different type of investor today. I don't think I'd be where I'm at today if I didn't go through those trials and tribulations. Um, lots of other things that it taught me. Lots of lessons I pulled away from it. A big one was I, my credit literally went from you know an 800 plus to you know being able to go get any type of credit I needed to. Literally a negative. You know, it was it was like four sixty at the lowest. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. Um. And all my credit cards shut me off. I literally had access to zero credit. I essentially had to live on the little bit of money I had. Couldn't get. Couldn't go get credit. Couldn't get a car. Couldn't had have a debit card. And that bank account yeah. actually got garnished at some point in time um, during this. And so I was. I had to start from scratch. And um, the, the second thing I was going to mention that kind of carried me through it was I met who is now my wife today. I literally met her. About uh, about two months prior to defaulting on this wow. entire portfolio, and I met her when I had a, a waterfront home, you know, a nice boat, nice car, you know, all this stuff, and just a pretty cool yeah. lifestyle down the beach. And uh, and I remember having this conversation with her literally a couple months before I knew I was going to like default. And I, I liked her. I'd been you know dating you know you know over a couple of years. I met her, and I'm like, I think there's something special here. And I surely don't want to lead this girl mm-hmm. down this path. Uh, thinking that yeah. things are good, things are steady, things are stable, and then you know, basically, hell's going to come raining down on her. And so I told her about it, and I don't think she really uh, comprehended um, how bad things might get. And ultimately, yeah. um, you know, she was there the morning when my bank account got garnished, and uh, she literally had to pay to uh, you know to pay for breakfast that morning, and pay to get my car out of the 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 car wash that we had, had get a, we were getting a wash that while we were eating breakfast and uh, my bank account got garnished and I literally had zero and she stuck with me and um and we did it together so uh, you know that's incredible yeah, it, it was it was an incredible time and I'm um, internally grateful to her as well for I don't think she thinks of it that way when I talk to her about today I, I think she kind of just forgets like how challenging things were for me but um she truly yeah. was a staple that held it all together health mindset and really positive relationships are the yep. key to a happy life and. It sounds like that's how you went through that tough time. It gives me chills thinking about it, Kevin, and it makes me tear up a little bit just to know that you had somebody there during that time because you know that's that's tough. It's probably one of the toughest things you've probably ever faced, and hopefully, hopefully, ever will have to face. Mm-hmm. So, from an investing standpoint, what's your mindset on investing today, and how do you go and 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 what's your philosophy that you apply? Yeah, I, I always called myself a cash flow investor back then. But I, uh-huh. I think I truly know the meaning of, of that today. And I don't think I did back then. I, I, and it wasn't that I was naive. It's just um, uh-huh. I take a different approach today than, than what it was back then. And uh, one of those is the type of asset that we invest in. And this isn't to say, you know, what we do today is better than single family or multifamily is better than single family, anything like that. But, um, you know, when we approach any individual investment, we put it through a, uh, a variety of different stress tests. I mean, like it's, 
we look at all these different hypothetical situations that might occur you know, based on the type of debt that, that it qualifies for today, based on the business plan, if we execute it precisely, if we hit our couple targets along the couple of years, you know, what does that look like? What's it look like if rates go up and we need to go refinance it? What's it look like if we can't do a cash out refi and get all of our investor capital back? What's it look like and what's the tipping point? Like, What is the real tipping point after running through all these different scenarios? And can we get comfortable with whatever we think that worst case scenario looks like or you know a couple tiers prior to that can we truly get kind of like how far can mm-hmm. we push that thing before you know we can't can't pay our investors we can't pay our debt service and ultimately um, it becomes a very risky investment and so we spend a lot of time um, on every single deal and I'm not saying I didn't I, you know, I wasn't a student investor back then, but I sure as heck didn't think of all those different scenarios that could possibly play out. And I never really thought of those worst case scenarios. And so that's a big factor of it today. And so when we do buy for cash flow, like we're truly looking at individual investments as, um, you know, their overall stability today, but also in the future, in the event that that future isn't as bright as what we think it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're focusing on stress testing those investments mm-hmm. so that you make sure that if even if the worst of the worst happen again, you're able to 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 navigate through that storm without without going back down that same path that you already went. That's exactly correct. And in addition to that, you know, That's for it. example, the the type of investments that we have today, the demographic we're serving, um, there there's an ever growing demand, right? I mean, for for affordable housing, yeah. like. It, it, we're not meeting it. We're not even attempting to meet it. You know, I mean, throughout the country, it's just not happening. Like, it's, it's ever growing. And yeah. our niche, I like to think of it as like the trickle down effect, right? Like when times are good, like right now, our occupancy is, is just phenomenal. Like throughout all of our communities, like there's a huge uh-huh. demand for affordable housing today. But when things get bad, there's even a uh, you know, higher demand for affordable housing. And so if you kind of look at it from like single family rental down to uh, apartment rental, down to mobile home parks. Like if you literally, and this doesn't mean that mobile home parks are the lowest of qualities. We've got some really, really nice communities, communities that I would rather live in than than living in the nicer A-class apartments. But if you can't afford to live in any one of those mobile home communities in any given market in the US, if you literally can't afford that lot rent, there is nowhere cheaper that you and your family can reside in any given city or town across the US. And you're essentially homeless at that point in time. So I feel like we've our demand comes from all different angles, whether things are doing good or mm-hmm. things are doing bad. And so I'm very comfortable knowing that there will always be a demand, um, at least for the foreseeable future, um, for our, our asset class. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys can see that Kevin obviously went through a tough time, like so many experienced investors, like so many people who went through other market cycles and that he strengthened his mindset and he went and found something that he can be comfortable with for the long term Because the... His investment strategy is is purely built around making sure that no matter what happens, you're, you're going to be safe and that money is going to be secure and you're not going to have to deal with those feelings again because, I mean, man, I, I just give it to you for getting back up and getting back out there again because you know that that's a struggle. So uh, I'm curious, obviously you've hit some pretty big, uh, you hit a pretty big wall way back in the day, but what are some of your biggest challenges in life today? You know, we've been growing uh, pretty uh, pretty quickly, uh, and, and and you know, uh, growing our organization here, our internal team and external team as well. So I'd say that you know, uh, one of the um, you know the key factors to us, um, you know, being successful in our niche is attracting the right talent, the right team members, right, the right butt mm-hmm. for the right seat. And um, I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but I mean, it, it we we hire very slow 
Uh, and there's some points in time where we need people and we need them today, but we want to ensure that we're getting the right fit. So, I mean, I think that's a big challenge for our organization uh, in order for us to, to kind of hit our growth targets is really finding the right butts for the right seats that understand our, our core values, understand the vision of the company and want to row in the same direction there with us. So I'd say that's, that's surely a growth challenge of ours. Um, another big challenge, uh, and I think it's, an always, it's always a challenge. We're doing quite well, but just finding opportunities, right? I mean, the uh, it doesn't yeah. matter what asset class you're in. If you're buying single family properties or multifamily or other types of commercial real estate, everyone's chasing yield. You know, there's always someone out there willing to pay a little bit more than you are or take a less of a return than you might be for the same uh, investment property. Uh, and so we have that same challenge that probably most of the other listeners have as well of actually finding good quality deals that are a good fit for us and our investors. Those are probably two, yeah. two of the biggest ones. Frankly, I'm surprised by some of the the deals that people buy from us, right? Yeah. Like some of the stuff I'm selling, I'm like, how are they going to make any money on this? But you know, everyone's got their strategy, and I guess everyone's got their thing that they're going after. I hope so. I hope so because I I have a little bit of deja vu every once in a while from uh, 2005, 2006 era leading up to the crash, as far as people clamoring to purchase deals that just seemingly don't make sense. And I know that some people are smarter than you and I. I completely agree there, but yeah. Um, I, I see some challenges on the horizon. I just don't know what they are yet. <laughs> so I feel like you already underlined a bunch of stuff, but just to ask directly, what advice would you give to our listeners about navigating a potential downturn that might be happening? Because we've been talking about one for so many years and it's likely that it's it's ahead. Um, what should people be doing right now to make sure that they're prepared for that and they don't face the same kind of struggles other people did? I think just, you know, number one, understand your business plan and ensure that your business plan like truly can survive a downturn. Assume the worst, right? If you've got like shorter term debt, assume that your rate might be higher, you know, three years from now than it is today. Um, you know, assume that, you know, there is a chance you might not be able to get those three to 5% annual rent increases on your rental property, right? Just model it out so that let's say there's three or four years where, you're not going to get any increase whatsoever. In fact, there's even a time when you know you know back in 08 and 09 where we actually had to I mean lower our rent significantly. Rents don't always go up. Like yeah. there's periods of time where there's um, oversupply of inventory. You know, right now apartments are still being built left and right. At some point in time, there's going to be an oversupply in certain markets, right? Where yeah. concessions will have to be given, and so just you know be very structured with your business plan. You know, ensure that it can endure both times today when things are really good, but also you know, run those hypothetical stress tests on it, and uh, and 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 only buy within those parameters. You know, don't don't fall into the feeding frenzy of everyone's yeah. out there. You know, chasing after the deal, and you get that anxiety. It's like you're being at an auction. You, you need to set that cap going in, and literally do not raise your hand. You know, to bid after it goes past that cap, and be comfortable knowing that you're confident in your business plan, and you know that if you just buy within those parameters. Everything should be fine. Um, I, I, th I think that that's. I just see it happen left and right. Everyone's kind of like stretching a little bit, yep. stretching that direction a little bit, and I think that's when people start getting in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's really smart. I really like that. So, from a, from a habit standpoint, what are some of your keystone habits? The things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that kind of lead to success? Yeah, I mean, again, health and fitness is still a big part of my life. Um, you know, I, I try to. I'm not going to say that I go to the gym seven days a week. I've got two young kids and a family, and uh, uh -huh. it's just not that doesn't happen, unfortunately. Um, however, I do try to break a sweat, whatever that means. Um, you know, every day. 
Uh, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I drink a ton of water. I, I, I literally get up in the morning. The first thing I do is I chug typically a you know twenty or twenty four ounce glass of, of of water right out of the gate. And literally, uh-huh. I feel like I'm thawing out every morning when I wake up. It's just I can kind of feel it flowing through my body. That's a big part of it. I literally I don't think there's been a day in the past by 15 years where I haven't, that, that's like the first thing I do right when I wake up in the morning is uh, chug a bunch of water. Um, always wake up and, you know, give my wife a kiss. And now that I got two young boys, uh, I make it a point to, you know, go either wake them up or, you know, they're like, they're like my first stop of the morning and just to, you know, see their, their smiling faces and, uh, you know, wish them a happy day and just be grateful that I've got a healthy family and um, that things are really good, you know, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad you're living a good life. It can inspire all of us to do the same. So we've got to my favorite part of the show, the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Yeah, so I, I'd say the, probably the last book that had just a significant impact and it's a very simple book with some very pronoun, uh, uh, profound principles and is The Go-Giver. Um, and I Love can't really recall book. who the author is, but uh, it's so simple. And, I, and I've, I've been a, a giver, um, you know, uh, as far as I can remember and uh, I'm involved in a lot of different charitable endeavors and, uh, you know, give back via the podcast, give back, you know, via, um, you know, different educational pieces that we do on a regular basis, give back to our investors. I mean, I, I try to, you know, give value wherever, uh, you know, whichever angle in life I go. And, and um, that, that book is, uh, is an incredibly powerful read. And it's one that everyone listening, not only read yourself, but buys gifts. I mean, literally give to your yeah. family, give to your friends, give to your coworkers, um, give to anyone that will take it and actually consume it because it's incredibly powerful and it's very simple. That is a must read book. Everyone, I, if you haven't read it, go out and buy it right now. Listen to an Audible and uh, page through it because it's that's that's an awesome one. So, from a purpose perspective, why do you do what you do? I, I love what I do. I really enjoy it. I mean, even when times are tough, I mean, not every day is easy, right? Um, but I, I truly enjoy the team we work with. We got a core group, just the awesome folks here at, at Sunrise Capital Investors. Um, I enjoy real estate. I enjoy the hustle. I enjoy you know uh, uh, structuring deals. I enjoy our investors. I mean, most of our investors have come uh, as a direct result of, of the podcast that I've been doing for you know five plus years now, and so I get to give. And then I'll, in addition, to that, I get to build these incredible relationships from it. And so I just all the way around. I just have a lot of fun and really enjoy what I do. Heck yeah, that's what it's all about. Have yeah. fun and make money. That's, that's it. My, uh, yeah, I forgot about the motto. money part. I mean, making the money, you know, making the money is also fun. Making <laughs> making the money is a byproduct of having fun and delivering some value, right? Really making a yeah. difference, right? I mean, truly making a difference, making a difference for our investors, making a difference for everyone that listens into my podcast on a regular basis. At the end of the day, you know, you're the same way. You're a big giver. And as long as we can help all those other people, right? It, it ultimately will come back mm-hmm. to us by default, right? Like the money will come. And so I don't even think about the money. Just give, 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 give a ton of value, help others. And ultimately the, uh, the money would just be a byproduct. So true, that's so true. From an inspiration standpoint, we heard about a couple of your mentors, but who are some of your other mentors and how do they influence your life and your career? Yeah, you know, so David was obviously the first one in my life. Uh, and I've had lots of other mentors. I mean, I've, I spent a lot of my own education each and every year. I'm involved in uh, multiple different masterminds. And so um, I, just as a whole, um, all those different folks I come in contact with uh, in, in the mastermind events or uh, during the different boot camps or educational seminars I attend, uh, I consider everyone kind of my mastermind. Um, one guy that was very influential and still is to date in my life, he's a really close friend, I've known him now for going on 20 years as uh, Rod Cleef. Uh, he's yeah. also a big podcaster and a big multifamily investor, just a very close friend of mine. And 
Um, been very close to his family for a long time now, and um, he's kind of been there, done that. He's about 20 years older than I, and I don't want to throw out his age, but in any event, uh, he's been a huge a positive influence from a personal growth perspective to a uh, from a business perspective and just all around. So um, probably him and David have probably had the most significant impact. If I could really narrow it down to two people, and then everyone else, obviously, yeah. you know, uh, has kind of fallen that equation as well. But um, those two really uh, are at the top of the Absolutely. list. Absolutely. Rod is a very, very smart investor and incredible man. He, We just had him on the uh, podcast episode 21. Oh, really? Uh, if you guys want to go take a listen. Got it. Talks through some awesome goal setting stuff and just has an incredible mindset. He's been through thick and thin. So mm-hmm. finally, what drives you to live your best life every day? Helping others, man. I know we, we keep hitting on this, but it's really knowing that we're making a positive impact um, on this world as a whole. And not, not, you, can, you, can, you can really break it down on a micro level to our investors, to our employees, to our employees' families, um, to the different charitable endeavors that uh, we, we're able to give to uh, as a direct result of our investment activities. And so I think just, just giving back and helping others, actually seeing the, the end result of that, right? Like actually seeing success come from the message that we speak on the podcast, seeing success come from the folks that we give a meal to uh, during you know, Christmas time or you know, give gifts to that might not otherwise had gifts to unwrap for, on Christmas day, uh, you know, to our investors that are uh, you know, living a better life and, and creating a lifestyle of their dreams because of the investments that we're working in with them. So, I mean, just um, all together, uh, just giving back and helping others, man. I mean, that's really what it's all about. Like that, that's true. Like that is our core. That's my core, but that's also all of our, you know, I talk about like the right butts for the right seed and understanding our core value and our vision here at the company, ensuring that everyone here um, shares in that same mentality and know that it's not, a, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about everyone else around you. Let, let's worry about everyone else. Let's help all those in need, everyone that surrounds us on a daily basis. And ultimately, we'll be taken care of by default. I love that, you guys. What a great way to finish off an amazing episode with Kevin. So where can we find out more about you or uh, get in touch? Yeah, so uh, my main website, which is uh, my name, it's kevinbupp.com. You can go there and learn a little bit more about me. You can listen to uh, my different podcast episodes. I've been doing a show called Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow for over five years now. Um, you can listen to those episodes there. And then our company, if you have an interest in what we got going on, um, it's sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to track down. I can't hide. Awesome. Well, we'll be dropping all of that information in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a great, a great conversation. And uh, I look forward to the next time we can hang out. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.